Welcome to the Crosswalk Community Church Podcast. Here's Mari Fitzwin with a special message from the Awaken Monroe Revival Service. So a year before I learned about the concept of homeschooling, uh, I sent my children to a, uh, I enrolled them in a private Christian school. And when my next to the youngest uh, was ready to go to kindergarten, it was a much more traumatic situation for him than I, I sensed it would be. Um, it was certainly traumatic for me because he had such extreme separation anxiety. I mean, the, the whole clinging and crying and I don't want to go, but, you know, dutifully, I sent him off to his classroom. And every day after school, he would walk to the door of his classroom where I was waiting and hand me his lunch bag. And he would say, Mommy, I saved you some of my sandwich. And the first time that happened, my heart sank. I mean, it sank to my stomach. Uh, as I peered into the bag and found three or four bites out of his sandwich, because it dawned on me that uh, that was the extent of his anxiety. He, he couldn't eat his lunch. And this was a little boy that loved to eat. You know, he had always been way ahead of the growth charts. And as a matter of fact, he's the biggest one in the family even today. But he wasn't eating his lunch. And anyway, I, I gently thanked him for remembering me in that way. And then I, I had a little chat with him. You know, you really need to eat your lunch. Um, you need to eat all of your lunch. It's so important that you have your food during school, you know, on and on. And... um I ate the leftover sandwich. So every day he continued to bring me his lunch bag and a partially eaten sandwich. Around the completion of the first month of school, he handed me his lunch bag, and looking in, I saw there was only half a sandwich. Two or three weeks later, there was a fourth of a sandwich. That was good news for me. He was relaxing a whole lot more during school and uh, kind of finding, I think, his kindergarten place. And by the end of the second month, he was bringing me two or three bites left of leftover sandwich. And I still ate it. And in November of that year, three months later, There came a day he handed me his bag, gave me the same little speech, Mommy, I saved you part of my sandwich. But when I took the bag from him, it felt empty. And I looked inside, and it looked empty. And I took out the little baggie that his sandwich had been in, and it looked empty. And I was excited, but, you know, I tried to just... Stay calm. And I said, well, son, did you forget you ate all of your lunch today? And he looked so puzzled and and so innocent, you know, like a little five-year-old does. He said, no, Mommy, I saved you some of my sandwich. I said, son, 
What's left? He pointed to the corner of the bag, and he said, see, it's right there. Now, in his mind, he was offering me a piece of his sandwich. But I needed a magnifying glass. It was the teeniest, tiniest crust of bread. And I was tickled beyond words because I can imagine him, you know, eating the whole thing and just saying, well, i got to save a little bit for mom. And it was just a teeny, tiny bit. And as on other occasions, I took the sandwich, well, took the something, crust, and I put it in my mouth and, you know, I tried to enjoy it. In reality, what was left was so minute, there was no taste and really nothing to chew on. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2 and 3 is where we're going to rest tonight. And I'm quoting from the NLT. Now wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is at the point of death. Your deeds are far from right in the sight of God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold firmly to it and turn to me again. What's left? What are we handing God and calling church? What are we handing God and calling ministry or worship or prayer or meditation? What is it he sees or strains to see or doesn't see at all when we draw near to him and he draws near to us? or when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. In my son's mind, again, he was giving me something, but there was nothing there. What are we handing to others and calling it service or fellowship, love, that they don't sense a genuine or true sincerity or love, or passion. Without exception, God wants us, He needs us to be awake. Because things are happening all around us that displease Him, that grieve Him, that break His heart. He's not concerned with the good things that, you know, people have to say about us. He's not concerned about the wonderful reputation we think we have. Because, really, he knows who we are, right? He knows who we are anyway. What he wants is for us to wake up and partner with him to change and turn so many negative and bad and difficult situations around. And it will not be through any circles or spheres of influence that we have. It's not by power.
It won't be by anything we can do or produce or make happen because it's not by might. But it's by His Spirit. And only an awakened people can discern and follow the leading of His Spirit. His desire is for that to include every one of us, every one of us in here. But we have to wake up. One of my sons recently had, um, well, he has six wisdom teeth. We have a lot of wisdom teeth in our family. He has six. And um, he went to get have three of them extracted at a time. And uh, they put him you know, to sleep because it, they were, you know, just impacted and growing funny. And anyway, the doctor, the, the orthodontist came out and spoke to me and, and said, well, you know, he had massive teeth and they were deep, but we got them out and it had taken a, a little over an hour for the, the entire procedure. Now, when they wheeled my son out, he was like, wow. He said, that didn't take as long as I thought. And I said, really? How long did you, how long did you think it took? And he said, well, I was just asleep for a few minutes. And I said, well, no, you weren't. You were asleep well over an hour and it took a long time to convince him that he had actually been asleep. While he was asleep, the orthodontist extracted his teeth. The assistant was doing whatever she needed to do, handing the tools. I was out in the waiting room. There were other patients coming in, being seen by another orthodontist. There was activity all around him, but he was asleep. And so, as far as he knew, he sat down in the chair, and the next thing you know, they were waking him up, and the dentist had Pull those teeth out just like that, but that's not what happened. And that's not what happens to us. The city of Sardis, which is the letter that John wrote to this church, it was a letter to the church at Sardis. It was prosperous, and it was the capital of the Lydian Empire. And it was described as one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. Gold and silver could be found throughout all of the mountains. They were up on a high mountain plateau. And they have been reputed to be the first society to use precious metal, gold and silver, as money. And their city was inaccessible except by one very narrow passage. It was steep, easily fortified, and it was guarded. Sardis was considered an impregnable fortress. But you know, that was not to remain the case. It was eventually overthrown. Its sentinels had failed to maintain a diligent watch. So the enemy took them off guard. It said the king had been warned not to be overly confident about the city's location atop the mountain plateau. Said that that this king 
uh, bragged about how great his, his city was and no one would ever capture this city. Sardis means those escaping or that which remains. The name of that city, the message to the church, and the consequential history of the city make an interesting and perhaps very meaningful connection to us. So stay with me. First part of that verse, now wake up. The letter begins with, wake up. What lulls us to sleep? Well, just about anything these days once I finally sit down, but I mean spiritually, what lulls us to sleep? The list is too long for each of us to even begin to write out. Social media, Entertainment, TV, movies, theater, games, etc. And don't misunderstand me. Hear me clearly. There is nothing wrong with any of those things in moderation. I, I enjoy all of them. I enjoy it all. But when you find that your go-to is, let's say, for example, social media... Whenever you have a free moment or free time, rather than putting in the effort to be with our beloved Jesus, you'll soon be lulled to sleep. And as my son in the the orthodontist chair, you won't even realize you're asleep. Relationships can lull us to sleep. By making any relationship your total focus Uh, worries about wayward children, unfaithful spouses, distractions with other family members, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, attempts to salvage broken friendships. These things have a way of consuming our thought life totally if we're not careful. And then we've kept our eyes off Jesus too long, And we're asleep. You know, sadly, even the church can lull us to sleep. Hopefully, anybody being lulled to sleep right now? I hope not. (laughs) But the church can lull us to sleep. Stuck in traditions. You find you're doing church as usual. Same programs, always the same worship, always the same service. No real room for an outbreak or an outpouring of Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're merely doing church for the sake of doing church. There's no zeal, no desire, no fire. We're just there. We just show up because it's expected. God wants us to wake up. One of our um, family stories is about me talking in my sleep. Anybody in here talking in your sleep? 
No, you don't have to admit it. You, you can leave me hanging like I'm the only one. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but one of our, our family stories is, you know, on more than one occasion, my children, my five boys and one daughter, would ask me questions, uh, which in my conscious and awake state, the answer would have been no. Uh, if I, they'd asked me while I was awake. For example, something like, um, could they have pie and ice cream for breakfast? Or some other entertaining comment. And, you know, I'd say, oh yeah, sure, that's fine, go ahead. But they were never sophisticated or savvy enough to go into another room and start laughing. They would start laughing and laugh so hard that I would stir, I I would wake up, and then, you know, I would hear what they had had asked me and what my response had had been. And that's funny. But what's not funny is listening to preachers or teachers, leaders who are asleep. And they speak things without depth of understanding of God's word. Or a young believer asking advice or wanting to know about the things of God and being counseled by someone who's asleep. The church at Sardis, they, uh, they felt like they really had it going on. And you know, we, we like to feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm good with God. I have a good relationship with the Lord. And I think sometimes we, we feel like that because he, he's not doing what he did in the Old Testament, just strike you dead right there. Because we operate under grace. Um, we tend to think grace and being awake is the same thing. But it's not. The Apostle John went on to write, Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is at the point of death. It's our responsibility to ourselves and to those who make up our church family to keep alert. What is left in your life or your heart that is at the point of death? It's about to die. Now, that, that, this isn't necessarily teaching our message that you're going to want to jump up and run around the church and say, oh, thank you, Lord. But if you want to wake up, if you want to be alert to the things of God, then let's look inwardly and, and see what is it that remains and is about to die. He didn't single anybody out necessarily in that church. It was to the church, although there were some who were awake. Hope is something we have to cling to and, and hold on to. And, and I, I think what I'll do is just share with you some things that... Uh, Maybe it would help you determine what type of things remain that may be dying. But I hope that on tomorrow, maybe even when you go home tonight, 
maybe even right now while we're here, you look inwardly and, and say, Lord, what have I fallen asleep to? What have I allowed to lull me to sleep? Um, so something that I'm just going to, to break here for a moment that you need to know about me is um, I have a I have been blessed with a very strong gift of discernment. And um, so what I want to say right now is that the walls that are up, ask God to take them down. Maybe this isn't the message you want to hear, but it's the message that God has for us tonight. And we are not all right. We are asleep to something. And God wants us to wake up. Do you feel your hope turning to hopelessness because of life's circumstances? Is that something that you're trying to, uh, that you're clinging to just a little bit of hope? And it's what needs to be strengthened because it's about to die in you? Have you gone through just some of the worst of the worst of life and you feel like you have no hope? Well, Jeremiah 29 and 11 assures us that God knows your life. He knows your life, your life, your life. He knows your life. He knows my life. And he knows the plans he has for us. He said they're, they're plans to give us a hope and a future. But he has to be the one to do it. So either you manage your life and hope will die. Or you let him manage it and your hope will be strengthened you will strengthen that thing that remains and is about to die. What about feeling alone or loneliness? You know, when I first became a widow, that was the hardest season of my life to realize that I had walked in tandem with someone, that the two had become one. And now it was like trying to walk with just one leg. I said, God, how am I going to, how am I going to manage this with all these children and, and just life? I didn't want to be a single parent. But he is always the ever present one. He's the one who promised in Deuteronomy 31 and 8. He goes before us. I heard someone say that today, um, this evening. He goes before us, and his promise is never to leave nor forsake us. Isn't that good news? I mean, staying keenly aware of his presence with you daily and speaking thankfulness 
because he is with you that day, that will strengthen what remains and is about to die. We're not alone. And for me, that, that is always some of the best news. Even when loneliness is there, we are not alone, whatever our struggle. Hold on to grace. The enemy wants us to believe that God is a cruel, hard taskmaster. And you know, I have a a young woman that I am uh, mentoring now, and uh, she was raised to believe that God is the mafia. Now, the first time she told me that, you know, I kind of chuckled, I kind of giggled. I was like, oh, you know, really? And I was waiting for the punchline. But there wasn't one. Her parents were serious. That is the way they raised her, to believe that he was ready to zap her or any of her other siblings the minute they messed up. But God, you know, we know he is the complete and total opposite. He's a good, good father, kind, gracious, full of mercy and so much more. He's the one who gives us chance after chance after chance to know him as such. And he only and always wants the best for his children. He's the God of grace. He's the giver of what we haven't earned. and done nothing to deserve. Yet he gives because he is love. John 1 and 16 tells us, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So stay mindful of that grace and also that he forgives. He's a God of mercy. Sometimes the enemy will try to convince us that we've gone too far, said too much, done too much, and we cannot be forgiven this time. But in Lamentations 3 and 22 and 23, his compassions and his mercies are new every morning doesn't matter what you did the night before. doesn't matter what's happened. His mercies are there for us. And know that he is good. Hard, difficult, trials, prolonged illnesses, sicknesses, weariness, discouragement, continual financial struggles, feeling beat down or beat up by life, All this makes us vulnerable to Satan's question, does God really love or care for us? You know, Job said, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all that we know happened to Job, he sinned not. 
About six years ago, I felt as though I had a Job year. Anybody ever felt like they had a Job year? I'm not talking about a Job day where some things don't go wrong. Anybody felt like they had a Job year? Yeah. I was out walking with a friend, and some dogs um, lunged at us. They threatened us. And I stepped off of the sidewalk onto the grass, and uh, I fell into a storm drain, an uncovered storm drain. And I managed to catch the grass as I was going down. So I didn't fall all the way down, but I sustained severe injuries. That was in March. And then in June, my son was trying to do a simple repair on our toilet, watching YouTube. (laughs) Well, YouTube forgot to tell him, turn the water off first. (laughs) Yeah. So he ended up flooding all three levels of our house. Yeah, oh. And we had to move into a hotel for three months while they completely restored our house. Well, during the same period, my church situation had become toxic, and I began praying for the Lord's direction. Then in September, I was involved in a five-car pileup, and my Volvo, my brand-new Volvo, was totaled. In November, my mother died, and my father soon after. Can you say that was a Job year? I never lost sight of the truth that God loved me because of my spiritual mom. She drove nine hours all the way from Tennessee to comfort, encourage, remind, and keep me awake to the knowledge that despite the losses, God loved me. We are called a church family for a reason. We need one another, and we need one another to be awake to our needs, awake to what's happening in our lives. And when I say awake, I'm not talking about being in our business, but being awake so that we can pray one another through so that we can encourage one another in these dark times, so that we can intercede, so that we can become intercessors. Our ministry to one another is vital to the life of the church. And gossip and backbiting, malicious rumors, sarcasm, disloyalty and rebellion against leadership, that will lull you to sleep before you know it. You might be talking, but you'll be asleep. We need one another. I don't live in Monroe, but I'm going to speak as though I do. Monroe, you need one another. What a wonderful thing to have so many churches come together and say, Yes, let's do this. But it's not enough just to say, let's do this. Let's wake up. Let's wake up and walk with one another. 
work with one another, be with one another, love one another. The Word says that's the only way that people that don't believe will even know that we what? Are his disciples. Yeah. The last part of Revelations 3 and 3 states, your deeds are far from right in the sight of God. The church at Sardis apparently was very proud of their reputation within the city. People were aware of the church and perhaps their growth, prosperity. Maybe there were outreaches to the poorer citizens. Maybe the members were big donors to the church and other places. And I understand in Sardis was a huge public gymnasium and, and bath. But whatever the case, no doubt, if you were a foreigner and a Christian who wanted to know about the church or find it, it wasn't hard. Their works were known. They had a reputation for being alive. Their church was on the move. Well, that was from man's point of view. As far as their church goes, sometimes everything may seem to be going well in our churches. We have all the latest, greatest church programs and ministries in operation, and our attendance numbers maybe are increasing, building bigger sanctuaries. But from the Lord's perspective, as we read here, that even with all the outward successes, it is possible not to have wholly sought his face nor followed after his heart. We keep our works, our worship, and even our wonderment at the same level week after week after week, rather than moving toward perfection in him by actually allowing him to lead us in everything no matter what it is. So perhaps you've been simply staying stuck where you first begun because it worked and is comfortable and convenient. Well, the status quo will lull you to sleep. And so it was in the church of Sardis. And the message is not just for the church at large, but for members in particular. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold firmly to it and turn to me again. Humility goes a long way with God. Repentance does too. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Do you remember those words being spoken to you as a sinner? If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. There were still vestiges of life in the Sardis church, though not much. So the message to them and the message to us is not one of condemnation or despair. But it's a warning. Wake up. While you're sleeping, the gifts, the ministry, the call, the works, I've given you are dying for lack of care. Lack of care and attention. He wants us to succeed. God wants us to succeed. 
He wants us to fight. He never sends us into a battle we aren't prepared to win. He wants us to be victorious. He wants us to climb mountains with him and strengthen others, but we can't if we have no strength within ourselves because we're asleep. Wake up. Look around you. What's left? Strengthen whatever it is and go from strength to strength. He describes himself as a God of hope. Do you feel hopeless tonight? Come back to Jesus. He invites, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He's the God of consolation. Do you need comforting? Come back to Jesus, for he is the God of comfort. He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our tribulations. He's the God of peace. Is your mind or life so torn up, so full of unrest? Maybe you're not sleeping at night. Maybe you just toss and turn, and maybe you've bitten your nails down to the quick and pulled your hair and twirled and twisted and don't know which way to to go because of all the unrest in your life, all that's going on with your life. Come back to Jesus and receive the peace he promised to those who would trust him. Do you need mercy and forgiveness? Come back to Jesus. He's waiting with open arms to receive you and to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you long to be loved and to know someone cares about you? Come back to Jesus. He is the God of love. Every thought he has is of love for you. An awareness of his omnipresence, a consciousness of his grace, the worship team will come, mindful that he forgives, knowledge that he is love. If you don't know the Lord tonight, if you were not ever in a place where you prayed that prayer, where you repented of your sins and asked him into your heart, that time is now. And I'm not going to ask you to stand up and run down and throw yourself on the altar. But I'm going to ask you to take inventory of your heart. What's left? For those of you that know the Lord, what's left and is about to die in your life? I'm never, I'm never unmoved by a Father, forgive me.
Sunday at 10 a.m. at 925 South Telegraph Road in Monroe, Michigan. 